0: Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 9 which is page 199 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. I'm going to tell you up front where we're going. Have you ever ever Um, made a decision in your life uh, that was um, not the right decision, I don't mean simply a mistake, I mean against against good godly caution and advice. But because uh, at the time you, your spirit was caught up in something, um, it's what you wanted, uh, maybe you just didn't have the ears to hear, the counsel that was coming to you, um, but what, for whatever reason, you chose uh, to go down this path. And I mean, the things I think about, the things, the lasting things I think about that fall, uh, you know, on, on adults is, uh, you know, going down a career path that you didn't want uh, or that wasn't right. Maybe marrying. I don't want to say the wrong person. But you know what I mean? I don't have another phrase for that. But coming around to the notion that here I am. I'm living on the wrong side of this decision. I'm here. This This is the bed I made. And I'm lying in it. And... You, you know, as you're older and wiser and able to hear, you know that, you know that you knew that. Godly people in your life were saying, "You sure you want to do that? You sure you like him?" You know, decision to get divorced. Seemed right at the time; thought it would make things easy. Now you find yourself alone and alone. But you're there. We can't, in our life, we can't back the tapes up. Um, This isn't training. Every day is real. So it builds on the next. And so this morning's message is is pointing to the person, uh, which for some of us, it's going to be all of us sometime, right? Where we find ourselves on the wrong side of a decision. And there can grow in us that feeling of, well, is God with me now? Or how far away is he? That feeling of how far away, because I'm in a place that I demanded to be despite what he said, despite what his counsel would have been for me or was for me, but I'm here. Is is he here with me or is he laughing? Um, What was his hand in all of this? That is... Um, the subject, the spiritual subject of this morning's message. The message is being told through the life of Saul and God. Um, that's how God teaches us in his word. He's always teaching us about himself. Uh, no matter what story it is, it's not really about the person in the story. The person in the story is dead. The, the stories are given to us so that we can, A, understand ourselves better and be understand God better, and then understand that relationship. That's what's being given there. It's ultimately it's reaching to be not just a biography, but a theography of God in our life. And so it's going this this question that I come with this morning is being told uh, through um, the Hebrew quest for a king, and, and that and that king being King Saul. And so if you're in 1 Samuel nine, let me just. Um, I, I don't want to presume that everybody, some of you didn't even know there was a Samuel, and now you're finding out there's two of them. Uh, so I don't want to be presumptuous here. So let me share with you a little bit about where we are in, in the story of the Jews. They have been rescued from the Egyptians, uh, brought across the, the Red Sea, um, given the promise and the covenant of God, the Ten Commandments, um, His law, and many other laws that were designed to give the people identity and to make them holy before the Lord. So they were given a a, a group of, of rules and regulations and statutes that were designed to keep them holy. And then they were matured by testing of the Lord in the desert and finally at last brought into the promised land. And the promised land, after they had defeated the enemies of the promised land and settled it for themselves, it was a wonderful land for them that God had promised to them. That's why we call it promised land. And then the Lord established a government for them, which essentially consisted of priests in towns that would intercede for you and me to the Lord. So if we made a sin, we would beseech the priest. Or judges, which were established in towns and regions as the Lord saw fit, to intercede for the people among people. As justice and righteousness in our plane of life was kind of how the judges would engage. Well, what happened is the people forgot about the Lord. They, for- they forgot as a people, the things he did, the way he had cared for them, the way he had redeemed them and saved them from Egyptian slavery, the way he had destroyed the enemies before them, the way he had provided for them in the desert, the way he had given them the law, the way that he guided them with, through Moses, the way that he had placed himself to be seen at night and day as he led them across the desert. They had forgotten those stories, which seems odd, but we you do the same thing, don't we? And as they forgot, they... They headed down a slope of behavior away from the Lord. And soon, as the generations went on, the ways of God became not only irrelevant to them, but uncomfortable and a nuisance. They got to a place where, rather than trying to repent and come back, it just got in the way. And that's when they said to Samuel who was the judge at the time, give us a king instead. Instead of you seeking the Lord and, and judging for us, how about you just give us a king like all the other nations have? Can we just have a government like all the other nations? A, a government that thinks the way we think, that wants the things we want, and that pursues life the way we pursue it. That's what they asked for. They were kind enough to ask, but that's what they wanted. They wanted. And the Lord, last week we read, the Lord points to it as clear rejection of him. He says, this is a rejection of me. I am their king, and they're rejecting me to have a secular, irreligious government that just thinks the way they think. And so, through Samuel, the prophet and judge, the Lord told them, go back to your hometown and you will be given a king. And that's what we're picking up here in chapter 9, verse 1. We have a lot of reading to do today. And part of our reading is to learn about Saul because he's going to be the character through which we we view God for the next several weeks. And part of our reading is to just observe God as he relates to Saul. Um, So some of our reading is an investment for the weeks to come and some of our reading will benefit us now. Let's just read the first two verses of 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekarath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, for from his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. And let's stop there. Saul is the son of Kish. And he's wealthy, the scriptures say. Another way to understand this would be he's of position. Think of aristocracy. He would have been an aristocratic family of his clan. Is a good way to understand the heart of what's being expressed there. Certainly there was wealth involved, but there was stature. And his appearance is What? great he's tall, he's dark and he's wealthy right? it says handsome here That I'm not sure that's the most useful handsome not in the like, heartthrobby Justin Bieber way more like in the he's a man's man the kind of man I think that men could look at and go I'd follow that guy and women could look at and go I'd follow that guy that's the kind of handsome I think he's talking about G.I. Joe, cut jaw. He's tall, it says. He's a, head, he's a head above everybody else. So he's got this stat. He, he, he looks like a king ought to look. Is the point. This is the point of the scriptures. This is why it is starting this way. He, the word is saying, the people said to God, God, will you just give us a king like everyone else? And what did the Lord do? He gave them a remarkable specimen. According to the human pattern, he is the pattern. In fact, oddly enough, he's tall, which is unique among Hebrew language. In in the Hebrew, uh, among the Hebrew people, you never read of someone being tall. It's always their neighbors and their enemies who are tall. It's time to go into the promised land. They say, whoa, we can't go in there. The cities have gates and thick walls, and the people are tall. Goliath is not a Jew. So what's interest, interesting is that when they said, give us a king like all the other nations, the Lord gave them a king just like all the other nations. He, he would be at home among the Philistines. They would say, man, that guy is, whew, that's a king. That, two verses into the story, and that's what we're given. Now, some of this will feel to you like ah, there's some subtlety there. I'm okay, so this is what I want you to think. You ever watch a movie? And in the first scene of the movie, you get introduced to the characters. This is the where you actually have to really pay attention. So this is where the mom leaves to go do dishes. Is in this part of the movie when all the details are coming. Not maybe not your mom, but a mom that I know very well. <laughs> this, so in the beginning, when all the information's being downloaded to the viewer, you'll see in the characters, if it's a, good, if it's a you know, good movie with good character development, the characters will often show you some, it'll be a tell. They'll show you a card early on about their character that, that you can't really, if you're really observant, you'll be like, huh. And then as the movie develops, it'll it'll make the story more full. Because you'll think, oh, I saw that way back then. The way he raised his eyebrow or the way he twisted his evil mustache, I knew he was a bad guy. Or the way she kind of blushed when he walked in the room. I knew, I knew she was gonna like him. That happens, and it happens early on, and there's subtle moments early on that would be too much. There's not enough there. It would be too much to make a big deal out of it right then, but when you know the whole story, and you watch the movie again, those moments become very real. That's what's happening is we're going to see subtle things like this that in light of the whole story, they, they make a little more sense. Let me show you a few more of these. Let's look at verses 3 through 10. Speaking of subtlety, here we go. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shaalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true, so now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a cord of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to a seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Okay, now again, this is subtle, but I do not think it should be missed that Saul is not a good shepherd. The donkeys are lost, and he can't find them. And again, I I think it could be overplayed, potentially, but I, I do not think it should be missed... That, that he is portrayed in this account as unable. In fact, as the story winds on, it you feel like everybody in the land knows where these donkeys are but him. That's what, as the story will tell, like, who doesn't know where the donkeys are? But he can't find them. And the way it's delivered to us, it, I, I think, has a subtle overtone. Because in reality, it, it was a familiar analogy to the Hebrew people to talk about the role of a king with the role of a shepherd. You would even find times in scripture where a king and shepherd are the synonymous concepts. And it's worth noting that the, fo- the king who follows Saul, when Saul is rejected, this story's not going to end well, when Saul is rejected and David is selected, David is a very good shepherd. So good. In fact, when Samuel goes to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king, he arrives and all the sons are there but one. And And the Lord is not giving Samuel any peace on the sons that are present. And he says to Jesse, the father, do you have another son? And he says, yeah, I have David, but he's out caring for the sheep. So you have this story. One story begins with someone who can't find his lost donkeys and the other one comes with someone who's actively caring for the sheep at the time of his anointing. I Me. Mean, the Lord is my shepherd. Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. That's what we're told of Peter. So, it's there. I believe it is subtle, but I think if you knew the whole story, you'd come back and go, "Ah, oh, man, that subtlety is worth seeing and there's something else that's worth seeing here, is it does not appear that Saul is religious in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't know about Samuel, never heard about Samuel. Samuel is a national prophet judge. Everyone knows about Samuel. Well, you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, they live far away, maybe they don't. The reality is Samuel lives in Ramah, Saul lives in Gibeah, and the distance between those two towns is five miles. And he doesn't know about Samuel? I mean, if you read this, you see how the servant has to lead Saul by the hand towards the man of God. I think the writer of the story wants you to see that. The writer of the story wants you to know God is giving the people exactly what they wanted, which is somebody who looks like a king and is not religious, because that's the very thing they abandoned. They have a worldly specimen of a worldly man. He's wealthy. He's from an accomplished family. He is a physical specimen. And he's done it all himself. He doesn't even really understand the way that you deal with holy men. I mean, he's thinking, well, you know, we don't really have a big gift. It's the servant who, like, digs out his pocket and is like, I got a couple bucks. It's donkeys after all. How much is the seer going to charge us for wisdom about donkeys? There's got to be a value plan or something for donkeys. You know, the, the, the servant clearly knows the man of God is not after money. It's just we'll pay our respects, but we have, and the man of God will give us what the Lord has given him. This is the first look we have of Saul. Okay, let's keep reading. This will be a long track. I'm going to read 11 through 21. So if you're sleepy, drink your coffee. Here we go. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul, listen, the story's transition now from Saul towards the Lord here. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord, told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He is, is who shall restrain my people. It's roughly like he, he will lead my people as a way to understand that. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning... I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel, and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Is that what you were expecting of the Lord given the fact that last week he said to Samuel, Samuel, they have rejected me. I mean, did you see how well-treated Saul was here? You don't want to miss that. Saul was very well-treated here. What I mean to say is, imagine your God Okay, so take yourself and become God, but stay yourself. What I mean is don't imagine you're perfect, just powerful. But Keep your spirit as you know it to be. And you have been caring for these people since the day, well, since before you brought them up out of Egypt, but Especially since the day you brought them up out of Egypt. We're hungry. Here's manna. We don't like manna. Here's quail. Not enough. A lot of quail. (laughs) We're thirsty. Here's water. We're tired. always, right? Since the day you left, they want something that you're not giving them. They're unhappy with your leadership and they don't like Moses and they're frustrated. Why does Moses get to lead? Why does it, what's going on? You know, what about these rules? And you leave for, you know, 40 days, you're up on the mountain with Moses and it turns into mayhem down below. All these things, time and time again, you remember you're God and they have, they have done this, but you have shown mercy. Shown mercy because you know that you're working for their good the whole time, right? You know that I have a plan, and actually, my plan is bigger than these people. I'm going to bless the whole world through them. So, painstakingly, you're loving on them, and you're loving them the whole way, and they eventually turn to you and say, We are tired of your leadership. Give us a king. We're done. We don't want to hear about repentance. We want to solve the problems of our life. Will you just give us a king? No, you're God. And you cannot zap them with firebolts. All right? What would your spirit, I mean, can you at least understand? I think we have this in common. Starting off with, you want a king? I'll give you a king. That spirit of giving them like a total reject you want a king here here's eustace you know whatever eustace uh, is there if there's a guest named eustace i'm in serious trouble you're not coming back but here's that guy yeah i mean there's something in our spirit that, that that understands maybe the proclivity to set it up from failure from the very beginning to submarine the whole idea. Like, I'll make them sorry. They, they don't want a king. They don't want me as their king. They want a king. They think, well, I'll fix this. I'll get them such a bad, ooh, I'll get them. I think that's spirit. And then there is like a little more passive aggressive. If you're more type B, this is more what you would do is you would just give them someone like Saul, fine, here's your king, and you'd step back, you'd do this, Hmm. And you just have that big, I told you so smirk on your face. The one your spouse cannot stand. "Hmm." The whole time, because here, you want want a tall, dark, handsome, wealthy specimen of a king? Here, you don't want someone preaching Jesus to you all the time? Fine, here's Saul. Go have fun. We'll see you later. I'm going to be over here. That is probably the second spirit. Is that what we find in the word? No. If you had not known that 1 Samuel 8 was here, it would be hard to believe that God is even upset that they want a king for Saul. Listen to what he says. He says this to Samuel. So this is behind the curtain. This is straight up language. This is uncensored, God's uncensored word. Tomorrow, about this time, this is verse 16. I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people. He shall what? He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. It sounds like Egypt. It is so loving. I mean, do you realize that in the midst of their rejection, how loving God is being right now? Go, Samuel, man of God, go find Saul and bring him God. There he is. Samuel goes to see Saul. Saul, I'm the seer. And then what does he do? He establishes immediately before Saul, a man of no religion, that God is at work in him. Don't worry about your donkeys. They're fine. Your donkeys are taken care of. He leads right off the bat with, Saul's thinking, Whew, servant is right. This guy knows what he's talking about. Why else would it, why else is that happening? If you were God, how do you bring God to someone who has no religion? You show it. Watch what else happens, because there's more that happens here. I'm going to just read verses 22 through 27. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them the place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg that was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul up on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. So let me just describe all the things that God has done for Saul. God has shown Saul that he's working through the man Samuel. There is a God and he works through Samuel. God has blessed Saul through the words of Samuel. So not only has Samuel approached Saul, but he said, Saul, you're blessed. All of the nation's hopes are on you. Right? Not only has he blessed him with word, but he's made him the, 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 the head. He sits at the head of the table. He's the honored guest of the meal. So that he knows he has the Lord's favor. So he, he, the Lord knows Saul is the very first thing you see. The Lord's blessed Saul. He has the Lord's favor. And you even see the fact that this leg, of this leg, which is the choice portion of of the sacrifice, this leg has been saved by appointment for him. So there's this notion that God has been waiting for Saul to come for this very hour, that this is an important appointment for God. This is all, Saul gets to see all of this. A person who doesn't even know God is this, receives this blessing. And as if that wasn't enough, listen to the next eight verses. 10 verse 1, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies and this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you shall accept from their hand. After that you shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there as soon as you come to that city you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute and lyre before them prophesying then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with him and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do for God is with you. Let me stop there. Is God on Saul's side or what? What else? What else does God need to do to show somebody that he is for them. God went out and met him outside the city. God blessed him through the words of Samuel. God made him the the honored guest of the meal. God gave him the choice piece of meat by appointment that we've been waiting for you, Saul. God anointed his head with oil. He is the anointed person of Israel. You know what the Hebrew for that is? Messiah. Messiah. Saul is the Messiah of Israel. He anoints him. And then he prophesies on his future so that Saul has this notion that God not only knows his past, not only is in his present, but is caring for and knows his future. In fact, all of what was read happens in verses nine to the end of the chapter. That God knows his future and he says, you're going to go out, and upon your way, it's increasingly more spiritual moments that are happening until at last the Holy Spirit comes on Saul in great power. And he too begins to prophesy. In other words, like not only is he an honored guest, not only is he a, a, a special man of God, but the Lord puts his own spirit in him. God is on his side. Do whatever your hand finds to do. That's, that's the idea. With the spirit, by the way, I, it's important to say this because it'll come up later. This, the Lord is not saying that he's making Saul a Christian. This isn't like you're gonna be a new creation in Christ. The Lord is not tampering with the personhood of Saul, okay? What the Lord is doing is blessing him with a spirit of power, Okay, this is especially how it's understood in the Old Testament. Same word, by the way, spirit, power, same word. And so the Lord is giving him a spirit of power. The notion here is that the Lord is endowing him with the spirit of power to lead as a king. All of this is being done for him. So last week, we read this. We read the people saying, we don't want you, we want a king. And the Lord said, don't do it. He said, Samuel, tell them, warn them of the cost. And Samuel went and warned them, and they still said, give us a king. No, give us a king. And this is how the Lord has treated him. It's so special. Let me just say this. We sometimes wake up on the wrong side of a decision. I'm not saying that we're living I'm not I'm not saying the same thing as someone who's willfully wrapped up in sin. Okay? I'm saying these decisions we make in life where we want something badly and the motivation is not holy or good, but we want something and we, we take it, we commit to it, and we're on the road, right? The story's being written with that thing in our life. And then as the Lord matures us, or simply as we mature, we become, we rise up to the place of being able to see with regrettable eyes the consequences of our decision. And for those in Christ, is the Lord standing off with his hands folded saying told you so is that the story don't you see the, the, don't do this thing says the Lord don't do this thing and they say no we want a king and he says well if you are going to have a king I'm going to do my best to make sure that that king finds God do you see the way the Lord follows into this story It's not as though, and I just want to say this to you, Christian, it's not as though your decision can inexorably separate you from the love of God or that can put you in some great distance from God that you need to wake up and see that he's haughty or laughing or that he's at some distance or uh, doing what I told you so. That's not what's happening here. The The Lord is always on your side. Always on the side of his children especially when they're making poor decisions. That's when the Lord travels with you into the decision. Is that not the story of the cross? <sighs> ah, I need to send my son. That is the goodness of the Lord, is that in our bad decisions, the Lord shows up in them to continue to breed and tell the story of life and of Christ and of the cross while we're there. How far is God away from you? The answer is for those in Christ Jesus, he is with us. And he's not saying, look, you've got to throw all of that out. In fact, in his word, he says, by the way, if you find yourself unequally yoked, and they'll have you, remain with them. Be Christ in them. God follows us in these decisions and continues to work out his promises in these decisions. He's not angry with you. He's not laughing at you. There's none of that. I just want you this morning, especially if there is that person, just to know the love, the never-failing love of Christ. He has not left you. The Lord is our shepherd. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. Did you ever think that we sometimes hand carve that valley of bad decisions? And he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. It's my hope. It's my hope that you might not believe there is distance between you and the Lord. Because it is just not true for his people, he is always on our side, working to make us who he promised he would do. That's his promise to us. Amen.